Världen är upp och ner. Vi är indragna i en värld där fakta inte längre är fakta. Där upplevda känslor trumfar rätt i sak. Där den största politiskt samlande kraften har blivit invandringen. Och där frågan kontrolleras och ställs framför allt från högerkanten. Hur hamnade vi här och vart hän barkade? Hej och välkomna till Radio Utblick. Idag vänder vi blicken till Europa. Ett Europa som för 10-15 år sedan såg starten på en trend av nya och nygamla partier med ett högt och ilsket tonläge om invandringen. Invandringen som de tyckte hotade den nationella identiteten. Identitära rörelser var då ett begrepp som väldigt få slängde sig med. Idag samlar begreppet främlingsfientliga partier i alla europeiska medlemsländer. I början av 2000-talet var dessa partier enskilda aktörer. Men 15 år senare har många direkta eller indirekta kopplingar och samarbeten med varandra. Europasamarbetet har gått in i en ny fas där de främlingsfientliga partierna funnit varandra och funnit att samarbete däremellan är avgörande för att sprida och kontrollera sin bild av Europa. Hur ska etablerade partier hantera den här situationen? Hur hanteras länder som Polen och Ungern inom Europasamarbetet när de bryter mot Köpenhamn-kriterierna? Hur ska vi hantera en situation som i värsta fall innebär fler främlingsfientliga partier i regeringsställning? Eller i bästa fall en stor representation i nationella församlingar och Europaparlamentet? Jag heter Gustav Nyqvist och du lyssnar på Radio Utblick i en serie program med fokus på ett upp- och nedvänt Europa. Lino prepareras på terrassen Garis penetreras på terrassen Men ångesten har aldrig diskuteras på terrassen Min suvi diskuterade på rasten Bro han brukar röka stanna med kajolar utan gräsig Rykte säga han har börjat spela klassig Nu för tiden ingen ammotion och rök är bara assig Det är bara assig, bara assig De som duckar zut skulder de blir straffade med plackor Men ingen ville ducka de som drabbade med blanko Med blicken mot Europa, mitt i båten sitter Jakob och allting börjar med att löften om rikedom och säkerhet är oemotståndliga Och misstånden är församliga Nu finns det flodestar i Colombia Ja, och nu finns det flodestar i Colombia Flodestar i Colombia Tuggade med fase, ända sedan vi var åtta Morsa kom från Finland, farsa från Marokko Tjono talar fyra språk innan vi var åtta 
Bruxa Nina viva outro broer Trakta fase gypsy kundu yuga som Pinocchio Me kundu hola minen Bete en gul tokur Alti sama lögne men kom jep me nya klokur Hans nya klokur om va alti nya klokur De flesta av oss hade vajken nyckel eller bricka Men hade ändå alltid mycket i sin ficka De som inte spelar fotboll hade ändå börjat kicka De som satsade på skolan hade gypa Shishko bara förkylst i Toblerone Kalla sig musen men käka dubbelkallzone Zinjiko från Orland vi kallar han av diskåne Och alla skulle bli som Corleone Så de minglade med under jorden De fann sig själv i rättegången När de funnit jorden Skickar parat till släkten med Västra Unionen Kallar den vita för visa för alla kunde drog den Allt jag hör i alla det blir dunderbroder Liner ovanpå, bara flyger under vore Raka rör fullt av undertonen Och allting börjar med att vissa tjonos drabbas om de leder av insomnia Som de borde oåtkomliga Nu finns det flodestar i Colombia Nu finns det flodestar i Colombia Flodestar i Colombia De som satt ning brud, de lägger chansir i din rigatoni Walla ingen käka i rigatoni De hade praktikant som liknat i Aleoni Walla alla käka extra feveroni Skulle ha kostymer och gärde som Berlusconi Alla jagar påsar utan kvistar eller stråni Jag fastade aldrig för affischerna på Tony Jag haltade genom spärrarna med Tupac i min sonen Ficka fulla kiwi, jag vet skorna till deg Brorsan fyllde med spenat som tortellini Temo juma alla alta, låna mig din piwi Drömmer om nigiri, drömmer om modeller i bikini På hotellrum med Lundini Drömmer om en araba som alltid har bensini Kommer man från nada, man är klart att man blir giri Kommer aldrig med vad fattig jag är, heller harakiri Lever utan ramar, varje dag går Erik ut och slavar Brinner på politiker som sitter på kontor och dricker java Gud låt kaffe knulla deras magar Häls i flera dagar, låt krishantering knulla hela dagar Våra störningar var grava du lyssnar på Radio Utblick. I denna upplaga fäster vi blicken vid Europa och valet i Nederländerna. 2017 är det återigen supervalår. Och som om det inte vore nog med supervalåret 2016. Denna gången gäller det nationella val i EU. Nederländerna har precis gått till val. Frankrike går till presidentval i två omgångar i april och maj. Och i september är det val till förbundsdagen i Tyskland. Förra veckan gick så holländarna till vallokalerna och vinnande ur striden kom ett utav de sittande regeringspartierna, det liberalkonservativa VVD, Folkets parti för frihet och demokrati. Premiärminister Marke Rutte och hans VVD har suttit i koalitionsregering tillsammans med Arbetarpartiet. Det är svårt att svara på om Marke Rutte gjorde ett bra val eller inte. Han tappade en fjärdedel av sina mandat jämfört med föregående val 2012 men samtidigt tog han ända in på slutspurten av valrörelsen en betryggande ledning jämt emot Kjert Wilders. Kjert Wilders främlingsfientliga och EU-skeptiska parti PVV, Frihetspartiet, gick framåt och fick ytterligare fem mandat, totalt 20. Det är ungefär 13 procent av väljarstödet. Wilders, som är den enda medlemmen i sitt parti, har dock inte hämtat hem ett lika stort stöd som vid valet 2010 då Wilders parti vann 24 mandat. Så även här är bilden komplicerad för hur det egentligen gick för de här partierna. EU-positiva partier gick däremot starkt framåt, särskilt Grön Vänster som tredubblade sitt stöd och även socialliberala D66 gjorde ett starkt val. Vilka som däremot inte gjorde ett starkt val är det socialdemokratiska partiet PVDA, Arbetarpartiet. Arbetarpartiet som suttit i koalitionsregering med det liberalkonservativa VVD har helt kollapsat i årets val. 
Partiet går från 38 till bara 9 mandat. Och det här visste man innan valet. Opinionsmätningarna har under lång tid visat på fallet och det är framförallt den åtstramningspolitik Arbetarpartiet fört under koalitionsregerandet som har lett till att Arbetarpartiets väljare vänt partiet ryggen. Tittar man på valstatet kan man se att väljarna har lämnat båda regeringspartierna och istället gått till de mindre partierna. Både till EU-positiva Grön Vänster och D66 som till Wilders EU-kritiska parti och EU-skeptiska Kristdemokraterna. Kristdemokraterna som senaste tiden fört en betydligt hårdare retorik om invandring och nationalistisk identitet med siktet inställt på Mark Ruttes konservativa väljare. Dessa fyra partier ligger nära på lika stort väljarstöd. Något mindre för Grön Vänster. Men helt klart är att dessa partier ser sig som vinnare allihop men med olika berättelser om hur och varför de gick fram i valet. Vi har träffat en holländsk masterstudent vid Centrum för Europastudier på Göteborgs universitet och samtalat lite om valet. My name is Bo Dörmen and I'm a masterstudent in European Studies at the University of Gothenburg. Traditionally coming from the Netherlands, I wanted to see European Studies from another perspective in the European Union. So... The election results are in. Yes. What's your take on the on the campaign? Um, I think it was a good campaign, not too dirty or something, just an ordinary campaign. While at the same time, last Monday before the elections, there was a debate between Geert Wilders and Mark Rutte, the current prime or like the previous prime minister, and the the leader of the extreme right party and it was kind of a heated debate but it's always like that between the two of them uh, I think uh, the campaigning was very well but sometimes uh, maybe it was a bit weird that uh, for me at least the Democrats party they s- were still campaigning on the election day the Democrat party is that uh, D66 yeah right yeah so what, what's your um How do you feel about the results? Uh, the results are good. I'm happy about it. I mean, uh, Wilder's party became the second largest. And I think that's a victory, not only for the Netherlands, but for Europe and maybe the world in general, because we didn't elect a Dutch Trump, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's good. And it shows, um, it maybe sends a message to the world that we sort of said no to the hardest form of populism. After Brexit, you couldn't call really, you you really couldn't call uh, the Tories or Labour Eurosceptic parties, even if uh, maybe the Tories were definitely trying to tap into the the general population's Euroscepticism. But people didn't expect them to, to lose the Brexit debate. You really had like a wake-up call where it's like, wow, the population really wanted to leave the European Union. Could you see something similar that happened in England Mm. and the UK? That's an interesting question. I would say yes and no. Because one, um, no, because I think the Brexit was a wake-up call for everyone. Um, As was um, told... As was seen on the news and so on, it was um, uh, 
people were googling what is the European Union, what happens if we leave the EU and so on. So I think that will also send a message to, to the people in the Netherlands. And yes, it might, because as people, they're tired of politicians. They don't trust them anymore. There's a lack of trust. And I think sometimes we talk about the democratic deficit in the EU, but I think it's rather a democratic deficit from the national uh, member states because they don't communicate well to the citizens what happens in Brussels. They actually use Brussels as sort of scapegoat when they have to uh, implement unpopular national policies. It was really nice to have you here, Bo, and thank you for participating in uh, Radio Utblik. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's nice discussing uh, the results of the Dutch election. Yeah, mm. and good luck on your masters. Thank you very much. Welcome to the show, Jonathan Polk. You are a researcher at Sergio uh, at Gothenburg University. Yeah, the Center for European Research and the Department of Political Science at the University of Gothenburg. So what's your field of uh, research? My research is primarily in political parties, party competition and the measurement of party positions. More recently, I've started doing a project that's specifically on political party members and their attitudes about uh, their membership and, uh, in general, political issues within Sweden. 
All right. So we we had a big election year last year in Sweden, and we called it the super election year. And now we're calling uh, 2017 the super election year in the European Union. The Dutch have gone to the ballots. Uh, the French election is in April and May. And in September, we have the German Bundestag election. What are we to expect in these elections? Are there any strong trends? Well, I think, at least in part, one of the things that's been dominant within the media narrative is the question of whether or not there will be a populist wave within these elections across the European Union. And uh, there's also some question to what extent the results of one election will impact the next elections. So to what extent they might be interrelated. Uh, in general, I think one of the things we can expect and that the polls seem to suggest is that uh, mainstream, older, more established parties seem to be suffering losses relative to upstart uh, so-called challenger or niche parties. If, if we see this trend that's been going on, going on for 15 years where parties like uh, Sweden Democrats, for instance, or uh, Front National, they came in from... Uh, came into the mainstream mm. 15 years ago and today they're more or less part of the mainstream uh, how are mainstream parties dealing with this situation and are there are there any can you underestimate this trend basically because 15 years ago people were like yeah this is this is not going to be a problem in mm. sweden mm. we are we are better than the sweden democrats for instance that's like that was like a common common thought mm -hmm. things have gone a lot different yeah I, I that's a good question uh, I'm not certain if I would say it was necessarily an underestimation of the uh, potential for issues like immigration to be salient within society so much as it was within the mainstream and established parties difficult for them to be responsive to changing preferences within society about those issues or even if they weren't changing preferences to be responsive on those ideas because they potentially divide their electorates as i mentioned earlier most of these parties were organized around the idea of competition on economic questions and questions of redistribution and questions of the size of the state and things of this nature and so it's uh, difficult for them to adjust to issues and topics that don't connect to that organizing principle in some respects and so uh These are larger organizations that are somewhat like a, uh, a ship instead of a small, nimble boat, and it's frequently difficult to change course and takes time to do so. Uh, so I think the responsiveness to citizens on these issues and the ability to change uh, will probably take some time. So if, if we, um, let's say it's been 15 years mm. and we still haven't seen this, this uh, dealing with a new situation hmm. 15 down 15 years further down the road well i think i think it's it's something of a of a of a mischaracterization to suggest that there hasn't been any way in which uh the mainstream parties have 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 shifted 
to talk about uh, questions like immigration more. I think about Reinfeld's speech in uh, Almadalen where he quite explicitly said that integrating uh, refugees was going to be a, a financially costly endeavor and it would require some level of, 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 of sacrifice in order to do so, but that, that there was a, uh, I guess, a moral responsibility in, 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 making, in making those sacrifices and, 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 and putting in that effort. Uh, that, to me, seems like a, an indication of, of more frank and, and serious discussion of, of the issue. Uh, But so, is it um, beyond the, the rhetoric? Because what mm. we're seeing actually aligning more, more, of, more of an alignment mm. of the far-right policies. It's not like we're going in an opposite trend. We're more, we see parties going, aligning their politics. Well, I think th- th- this is another situation where the Dutch election is, is informative. Uh, one of the things you... S- you seem to see, or at least most of what I've read in the immediate uh, comments afterwards by other political scientists, is in addition to uh, a fragmentation, a a rather strong polarization along these lines of cultural openness as opposed to more uh, um, uh, cultural closeness, for lack of a better word. Uh, The Green Left, as well as the D66, both ran, uh, as I mentioned before, explicitly cosmopolitan campaigns and received uh, influx of voters. Uh, Meanwhile, the Christian Democrats uh, tried to step into some of the uh, positions and and areas that were uh, popularized by the PVV, and the VVD did to some extent as well, although less so than the Christian Democrats. And so you can see a more stark divide within the Dutch electoral returns on these questions of immigration and integration than uh, you might have seen in society before. I don't want to come off like an alarmist, mm. but to me it's like um, it's like a personal personal opinion that 15 years ago we were seeing like seeds of something that I w- that would be a worst case scenario where we are today. Mm. Mm. That we thought that eh, that's that's a cynical point of view. That's that's not going to happen. But now it's it is 15 years later. So to me, it's like, yeah, 15 years ago, I was like worried that this could happen, that we mm. are today. Mm. But I thought it was, yeah, probably not. We're better than that. Mm. So now I'm like, yeah, 15 years down the road, what's going on in Hungary? What's going on in Poland? The United States. The United <laughs> States. Yeah, it's like all coming together in like a mm. perfect storm. Mm. Yeah. I, 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 I go through uh, phases of, of pessimism and frustration as well. But I, I think if... If you take a glass is half full perspective on this, which I think it's probably uh, the the most productive way to look at it, it's an opportunity and almost a requirement, as I mentioned before, for uh, politicians and citizens and other members of society to make the positive case for what they'd like to see happen. Uh, I think in general there is an opportunity for a frank and free exchange of ideas about what's best for society and an opportunity to make new and uh, and compelling ideas for how we can we can best live together. Yeah, yeah I used to be there, the the half full hmm. glass kind mm-hmm. of guy. Used to be very optimistic. I, mean, I guess if you take a negative perspective or a glass is half empty kind of idea on it, you we also see that there was. Um, 
I guess if you think about, there was a book by Francis Fukuyama that came out at the end of the Cold War called The End of History. And there was for a while this widespread belief that liberal democracy was to some extent the only game in town. And even after there had been criticisms of the book and a perception that it was a little bit dated in its its orientation, there still seemed to be a way in which there was a a, a bedrock foundation uh, belief that liberal democracy was in fact going to be on the march and on the spread and almost inevitable. And uh, now we've seen just how uh, fragile potentially that can be, even in societies in which you think uh, that it's more firmly rooted, like, say, the United States, right, as opposed to uh, post-communist countries like Poland and Hungary that have had less less experience with uh, liberal democratic governance. And so uh, from a pessimistic perspective, or uh, maybe just a um, a realist perspective. It, it's a call to, uh, to to notice just how fragile these uh, institutions and norms can actually be, and how important it is for us to find ways to um, uh, exercise those muscles and maintain uh, the liberal democratic uh, societies that we uh, we currently live in. Yeah, because doesn't we have like a responsibility to talk about both these scenarios? Because you're you're expected to be like very sober, mm. uh, especially in academic circles, and mm. you're not supposed to. Um, what's the word to speculate? Mm. And mm-hmm. you're not supposed mm-hmm. to speculate in the in the cynical point of view, of course. And but I mean, yeah, if the mm. the two sides like half empty, half full. Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, I guess I I, I certainly don't want to speculate, nor do I necessarily want to ostracize or marginalize uh, uh, the the populist uh, ideas that exist within society. I think those are important to engage with as well. Uh, But I do think it's important for citizens to think carefully about what type of society they want to live in and to make uh, the best arguments they can for those uh, beliefs uh, with one another and to speak openly and frankly about those sorts of things. Uh, so I've, 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 I've been uh, having a hard time reconciling this desire within myself to uh, speak to some extent as a citizen uh, with the professional responsibility I have to maintain uh, distance and and some level of neutrality in the way I try to analyze politics. Uh, so I try to do my best to speak uh, dispassionately about politics uh, when I'm speaking of it as a political scientist, while at the same time uh, keeping in mind the principles that I have as it relates to my role as a citizen within society and what I think should happen in terms of uh, those things. But I, I do my best not to uh, allow those two things to, to, to overly influence one another. Yeah, it's kind of a classical problem. Mm. It's mm. coming pretty pivotal, mm. maybe. Well, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see what's, uh, what's happening and... Uh, yeah, I guess one of the things that that um, I, I would like to say, in, at least in part, in closing, is that uh, we shouldn't read too much into the 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 Dutch elections as it relates to the French elections. Much like uh, the United States is a substantially different electoral environment than uh, the Netherlands, France is also a much different kind of electoral system than the Netherlands. And uh, just because 
uh, Wilders didn't come out on top in the, the Dutch system, uh, as I said before, that doesn't mean he won't have substantial voice within Dutch politics in the near future. And it's certainly no indication that uh, there won't be a, a strong showing from Le Pen in the, uh, in the French election. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's definitely going to be an uh, interesting, interesting year. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Uh, thank you for participating in uh, the podcast Radio Utblick. Great. It's been uh, really, really interesting to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you.